Let's take a journey back to 2003. Canadian teen sensation Avril Lavigne was topping the charts and turning the music industry upside down. But what if I told you that the Avril Lavigne we know and love might not be the same Avril? What? Did Avril die? Was she replaced by a doppelganger? I'm Joanne McNally and I'm doing a deep dive into a notorious internet conspiracy. Who replaced Avril Lavigne? Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. Think about like what surrounded you when you were growing up. Maybe it was a river. Maybe it was trees. Maybe it was an apartment building. For me, it was like a Burger King down the road and the suburbs and basketball nets in the driveway and that kind of thing. But for Richard Linklater, he had a very different experience. Richard Linklater, who you might know, is the filmmaker behind films like Dazed and Confused and Slacker and School of Rock and and Waking Life. In his backyard growing up in the 60s in Houston, Texas, was NASA. And it was NASA during the space race. It was NASA when it felt like they were going to go to the moon at any moment. You have to wonder whether that influenced some of Richard's sense of wonder that's in his films, and maybe some of the nostalgia that's in his films as well. So uh, we're going to talk to Richard a little bit about his film called Apollo 10 and a Half, which is a semi-autobiographical animated film, ostensibly about a, a young kid who gets picked to go to the moon before Neil Armstrong. But you can tell it's kind of about Richard's childhood, and we talk about that. Here's my conversation with Richard Linklater. When I heard, oh, we're going to NASA today, I would kind of groan because we went about four times a year as a kid every time an out-of-town relative or something. We're going to go tour NASA. I'm like, no, not again. That's so – that because to me, oh, I mean, yes. I grew up in an island off the coast of Canada. Like, NASA, to me, in Houston, might as well have been the moon. You know what I mean? Yeah, where it was my backyard. Everybody's parents worked there. It was just the world you were growing up in. Like the movie, you know, we have, you know <clears> – <throat> fighter, you know, pilots flying above, you know, breaking the sound barrier, setting off sonic booms near an airfield. It was just, it was a wild time, but you just, it's your childhood. You just kind of take it for granted. It's an interesting time in Houston too. I listened to this podcast about the Astros. I mean, about oh. the, the kind of the unfortunateness of the Astros a few years ago, but the opening episode oh. was really interesting to me because I didn't know yeah. I didn't know how futuristic Houston was, oh, gosh. you know? So I was trying to capture that in the movie. People think the South and they think, oh, it's some, you know, backwater. But actually, Houston was felt like the center of science fiction. You know, it was like a dome stadium, astroturf. They were having to invent all this stuff. The You know, the Space Center right here and heart transplants. It, it felt super futuristic even the new architecture coming in on buildings and the astros really went with that they even named the team this is in 64 65 they named them the astros and at the time why didn't you just call them the astronauts and they said well you guys were just going to call them the astros anyway so we'll we'll just call them that but everything was space age themed you know you know in the seventh inning stretch they come out and rake the infield well those would be guys in astronaut suits you know <laughs> <laughs> poor, poor grounds crew had to wear these damn i'm sure heavy hot astronaut suits <laughs> richard what what impact does that have on your psyche to like grow up with all of this like futurism and opportunities so close to you it, 
Well, at the time, again, you're a kid. It's just like, this is the future. This is the world. This is it's exciting. But you just take it for granted. Only as years went went by, decades roll by. And I was thinking about that time. And I was like, wait, that was the apex. At that time, it was like, oh, we've seen 2001. We're going to be on Jupiter here in a few years. And then we'll be on, you know, we're going to keep going at this rate. And we'll be leaving the solar system and discovering life on other, you know, you just extrapolated out the future at the current rate of technological innovation. But no one would have said, hey, you know, this is the apex now. It's going to kind of slow down here. This is where we're putting our we're putting our uh, chips on the table here, but once this is over, it's it's going to kind of become something else. So looking back on it, I was like, wait, that was a really fascinating time. I, I want to make a movie about what it was like just to be a a kid then with all the, I don't know, the excitement of a kid when you don't really know how the world works. And the movies, you know, the, the fantasy element is something that it's a fantasy I actually had, you know, before like in first grade, before you really know how the world works, you can dream such kind of crazy dreams. The the experience of them saying that they, I think, I don't, it's so early in the film, I don't think it's a spoiler, that they no. that they built the shuttle too small <laughs> accidentally and they need a kid. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the capsule, the lunar capsule. Yeah. No, I remember thinking that, like, you know, you're on the playground and it was so weird to make a movie that's very fact-based. You know, it's almost documentary and, and it's, exactness for the details of everything NASA and cultural, but it's also a pretty exacting recreation of a fantasy, <laughs> you know, that I would, that these guys would kind of come pull you aside and say, Hey, you know, it's like a Harry Potter fantasy. Like you're actually special. You're not just <laughs> in some nameless suburb or princess diaries or any of these like, Oh, you know, you have a greater destiny. You're, and not only that, you, you can help us. You're on a mission. The country needs you. The free world needs you. So it's so ridiculous and so childlike. But the trick in the movie was to interweave that into a, a pretty exacting world that maybe the viewer, plus the animation, the kind of the feel of it in your head, <laughs> that it would all kind of gel as one semi-believable story. Well, it's interesting that you chose like such a, a real, like we said, like a real-ish story and you chose to tell it through animation. Yeah, because it's both like a personal history and then a cultural history, NASA history, you know, it was, it was all the above. And it's pretty surreal to be animating and bringing into our fantasy world exact um, images from the time, like even movies, 2001, Sound of Music. You know, you see these these images we all know so well kind of reinterpreted and brought into our world. Um, so... That was a lot of fun. But but yeah, but in addition to like the Gilligan's Island, you know, and and the Gomer Pyle, you know, TV shows which <laughs> which are in the film, it's it's also on the same TV that you're watching with with the family then or I should say the characters watching with the family. I'm tempted to say you, but the characters watching with the family is yeah. is the Vietnam War. It's oh, the, yeah. the fight for civil rights. It's it's the, you know, early concerns about the environment. As oh. a kid, how did you process these opposing things happening to you, the 60 space race, something really exciting, and then something else happening at the same time. TV was, I mean, that was the positive thing and the shows were all fun, but yeah, the real world was scary. I remember as a kid, just, there was a lot, it was just kind of anything. We interrupt this program to bring you a special news bulletin. You know, Martin Luther King has been assassinated in Memphis, you know, like every, there was just tragedy everywhere. There were fires and, 
Kennedy was shot. Russians invaded Czechoslovakia. You know, it was always like, are, are we about to be, you know, are the, the Soviets going to drop a hydrogen bomb on it? You know, it, it was there was the outer world was a little scary. And it was the contrast to that, to the optimistic world of, you know, the moon, the moon race and NASA and other technologies. And I don't know, it was a real dissonance in the head. And I, I wanted the movie to really capture that. But it still kind of is. Of, like, like it, a lot of unrest. Yeah, it always is. I think particularly when you're young, it's your moment. You have to be excited about the time you're living in and the future and the best people have to be able to, you know, express themselves and reach their potential in every field they're in. And they have to be reaching for that and be excited about that. And yet the world always, always can be so much better, you know? So I just didn't want the movie to be this rose-colored glasses. Oh, what a great time. Can we go back to there? It's like, hell no, we don't want to go back there. Let's let's celebrate our achievements, which are substantial, but go back to a world of inequality <laughs> to that degree. Go back to a world of lack of equal opportunity. You know, it's, it's all there on the surface, very obvious. So there's a little bit of a cultural critique in there, parenting, you know, giveth and taketh. It was more free range childhood, freedom, but there's a lot of neglect there too and danger. So it, it, it was always double edged, but it was, it's all kind of wrapped in a fun movie. You know, there's another angle you could look at it all and kind of much more of a critique, I guess. Well, no, I guess the way I looked at it was, oh, there was, there, people were having existential crises back then too. <laughs> things never change my attitude toward any when i'm doing a period film of any kind i'm kind of like eh, nothing's changed the human brain has been the same for thousands of years nothing different under the sun the cultural landscape changes um specifics change but humans don't really change much you know that's always been my take i i love I had a I had a friend of mine say to me one time i said i can't believe we're living through this and he looked at me and he said i don't know gotta live through something <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, in every moment, you don't really know. History will let you know. The future will let you know how big a moment it was or wasn't. Sometimes there's something like, oh, wow, you know, this is the incredible thing. And then it'll be just gone a minute, you know, later, you know, a year later, 10 years later. And then other things will just linger and you can't really predict what. We'll be right back. I'm Candice Lim. And I'm Rachel Hampton. We are the hosts of ICYMI, Slate's podcast about internet culture. And we want to help you make sense of the need-to-know internet stories of the week. Consider us your internet historians of past, present, and future. Of the good, the bad, and the truly unhinged. From nuanced takes on stories we're all closely following to the ones you wished you heard about. In case you missed it, that's ICYMI, the podcast that's extremely online, so you don't have to be. Follow and listen now. But I feel like the film isn't nostalgic of the era or, or for the 60s, as you mentioned, you know, you didn't want to look back through this rose-colored glasses. But it did make me, I guess, nostalgic for the sense of belonging. Because at the end of the film, you point out that over 400,000 people worked together on the Apollo mission. 
600 yeah. million people together watched the moon landing. What did you want people to think about when they read those numbers? Yeah, when you think about it historically, I mean, it is the greatest human undertaking in history that wasn't military in nature, you know, with resources and people involved. And I, I would venture to say it was the last time the entire world was united or aware of something that was positive. You know, usually it's a, some kind of tragedy going on, some something horrible in the world gets everyone's attention, but something that was seen as a great achievement for, for all of humanity, for human evolution, for kind of what people were capable of. Remember for the next couple decades after this, everything, like when you're when your sink clogged up, it's like they can put a man on the moon, but they can't figure out how to, you know, make this toilet thing work or, you know, whatever. That was always the baseline is like, oh, my God, look what we achieved. So, yeah, I, I wanted to to really show that and how unified our country was doing all the historical research. It's unbelievable. The lack of um, or just the unity, the lack of partisanship that it, this program sailed between administrations and parties without any resistance. It was us doing this as a country, you know, and the film also goes out of its way to show the cultural critique of it. You know, like you could argue we shouldn't be spending our money doing this and people did, you know, there was a lot of dissent, you know, like the hippies generally were kind of like, eh, you know, there's a lot of problems here on earth. You know, you see it today. Are we going to Mars? Like, no, let's not go. Let's, we, we got to spend all that here. So, you know, it's, it's always a valid cultural question. Yeah. Like where do you spend tax dollars? What it did make me think about is that, yeah, there was this great unification of the country. As you mentioned in the film, kids were in science class. And I love the way you put this, like science class was so real that it was almost applied, like you were learning about yeah. space while people in your backyard were going to space. I know, you, it was like current events. I said science class was current events. That's so, that's so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me think that space travel to me now is not a united government front of everyone coming together, but it does sort of feel like billionaires racing one another to have the experience of going to space, you know? Well, I just think that's the way our our free market system has gone but i look at it as in a very positive light like if if the low low orbit world can be dominated by a free market you know like if people want to put in there and then have nasa actually take care of the next moon landings which are happening artemis one is super exciting it's launching soon and you know even the james webb space uh scope you know, that's incredible. You know, what, what we'll be able to see into the universe will be on Mars pretty soon. It's happening. It, it's really happening. So that's great. And I think that's really important. Like I was saying earlier, it just pushes everyone to innovate and to come up with great stuff. That's why the critique of, of the Apollo program and NASA in general of that era sort of went away because it was very successful. Mm. It, leads in so many directions you can't even quite imagine. But what we learn time and again, you get the greatest minds, scientific minds, and you give them problems to solve and things to achieve. They do it and you find out so much more additional, um, you know, so much additional information that can be applied everywhere. And I just think it's important for humans to be united and in, in dreaming of, of bigger and better things. You know, I think that's 
we can't totally lose that. So it's there for anyone who wants to pay attention. And I know there's a cynicism about it, but you know, and I've had that at, at various times in my life, but you know, not right now. I, I think, it, I think it's really important. These next steps they're taking. Well, maybe this is a good way to close things out. I want to go back to something you said earlier. You said, you know, as much as the film looks at the space race, and that's sort of what I've been talking to you about, it does also mention this sort of carefree childhood. You could pile kids into the back of a pickup without seatbelts. My dad used to tell me stories about when they'd get a car, they'd cut the seatbelts out of the car because they thought it was like, you know, sort of unnecessary, you know? Yeah. Um, Optional and absolutely unnecessary (laughs) seatbelts. As a as a parent yourself now, how do you look back on that part of your childhood? Is it with fondness or horror? Um, mostly horror <laughs> at how dangerous it was to be a kid back then. It really was. I mean, we take it for granted. But uh, if you look at the whole culture, our mortality rate has dropped a lot on accidental. You know, uh, it's just a safer world now. It's, I think people would argue overly safe. The movie is definitely a portrait of a free range childhood. And I I think parents have the option to recapture what's good about this. You know, like you could get your neighborhood that, that half a square mile and say, Hey, this is a free range zone. All the kids are going to play in the neighborhood. You're not going to call child protective services. If my kid's one block over playing with some other kid without an adult, you know, hovering over them. No, we trust people in this world. We know, you know, we're not going to be afraid. You know, we're not going to perceive the world, put our fear on people. So that kind of fearlessness was an advantage of youth. But, you know, I mean, there's a, there's a balance there. I, I just think I'd like to see adults more empowered to give their kill, kids more reign. But, you know, I, I haven't been always great at that myself as a parent. No one is. Parenting has changed quite a bit, but it's definitely a depiction of a a different time, the, the free rangeness of it. And it's, and it was fun, you know, you, living in a neighborhood with a lot of kids in your age range. And yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. But those, those early years of just running around the neighborhood are, are it was fun to kind yeah. of live them through you and remember my own as well. Richard, congratulations yeah. on the film. It was, it was really beautiful. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Really nice talking to you. Richard Linklater talking about his film, Apollo Ten and a Half. Now, uh, Richard Linklater's new film is called A Hitman. It premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival this week. It stars Glenn Powell as a philosophy professor by day, undercover investigator at night, who uses his knowledge of morality to impersonate Hitman. Jeez, Richard never does the same film twice, does he? Looking forward to having him back on about that film. That is it for uh, this show today. Uh, The other episode we put up today is my conversation with Jimmy Carter. And whenever I say that, I always think I'm talking to the... Not that I think I'm talking to the president of the United States, but that name is so like... It's like saying like, oh, I talked to the great tennis player Bill Clinton. But uh, Jimmy Carter is an iconic gospel musician. He's uh, the co-founder of the Blind Boys of Alabama, one of the most important gospel groups of all time. Jimmy's 91. And he came on the show... And he just told the story of the group. He told the story of what it was like to tour the U.S. as a black gospel group during Jim Crow. He talked about what it was like to go through that and then end up singing for the first black president when they sang for Barack Obama. And my favorite moment has to be when he says, you know, well, I'm not going to spoil it, but he says, it's an interesting feeling, I'll put it that way, when you're a gospel group and you're sort of forced to sing non-gospel music. So go check that out. Even if you're not a believer, even if you're not a spiritual, a God-fearing spiritual person, 
I think you're going to enjoy that conversation over on our podcast. Q with Tom Power, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we'll see you soon. Later on. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.